We do now. All right. Testing one, two. See. All right. I just I have one more thing I have to get up here. I have my notes on a photo tonight, so give me just a moment. If you would. Two photos. Let's see, where should I? Here we go. I guess I should have been doing this during the intermission. You want me to pray and do this at the same time, or you want me to pray and remember what I said? You guys don't know what to do with that. Looks like we're going to be fellowshipping a few minutes more tonight. There we go. All right, we'll go with that. Okay, um, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the Word of God. We thank you uh, in Acts 17 uh, how your Word uh, and power had its entrance into your church at Thessalonica and in Berea. And we want to uh, we want to learn of you and uh, really come in humility tonight asking that you would work in our lives um, by the word of God. We believe you. Um, we, we ask for a greater understanding and knowledge of you uh, through, the, through the word of God, that your grace would abound in our lives as we read and learn and that your word would accomplish the purpose for which you send it into our lives for your glory and for your kingdom. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. All right. Acts 17, not John 17. I'm in the wrong page in my Bible. Uh, Acts 17, um, Paul, Silas, and... Timothy are, are uh, the ones that are that are now traveling that become notable, and they've they've left uh, Philippi, right? Then then in in that place of that work in chapter sixteen, where uh, the supernatural power working of God through that earthquake opens up, saves the jailer, they get baptized, and and literally from there, uh, and all that took place. Uh, verse 1 of 17, they continue on their travels and they leave from Philippi and they pass through Amphipolis and Apollonia. Now, and they come to Thessalonica where there's a synagogue of the Jews. Now, we don't know why, but uh, I think there's a little bit of clue there by the Holy Spirit that 
having been in Philippi, no synagogue, and the result of what happened there. And again, I didn't look this up, but the Holy Spirit puts reference in there that when they found a synagogue of the Jews in in Thessalonica, they stopped there. Now, Paul had established the gospel would go forth to the Jews. When he goes out, he would share the gospel with those who already have the scriptures. And I think that's a great thing for us to see that that really, you go, you go back to how Jesus sent out his apostles in the beginning and when he sent them out two by two and he says, go to the lost sheep of Israel. And, and, and first and foremost, they went only amongst the cities of, <coughs> of Israel and the very first time he sent out his, his 12, he sends them out with nothing. He literally sends them out with a Bible, if you will, and the power of God. And, and he gave them power, and he said, go preach the gospel of the kingdom and, and pray for people, heal the sick, raise the dead, and, and, and basically prepare the way for Jesus. And, and as he sent them out, we, we need to understand this. The society and culture for the Jews, that they, it's not like they're without resource. They would be taken in. You, if you would travel to this city, you would find someone to stay with. Now, talking with uh, Pastor Ron down in, in Mexico, and they're planning a mission trip to Morocco. He's like, do you want to go to Morocco? I says, no, I don't want to go to Morocco, but I'll op- I'm open. Tell me about it. I, I'm not like I cannot be convinced. I don't want, I don't want to go to Morocco. When he starts to describe, and they, they, he's, he's had a group on a trip to Morocco and just describing evangelism in a completely closed, Muslim-ruled area. But he went on to describe that the, they would go from city to city, and they start out by, in the first city, they, they provide a place for them to stay. Uh, I think it's two nights, and then they're there, and they preach Christ, and they meet people, and then they, they, they have rules of engagement in regards to how they, if somebody asks them, what are you doing here, or what are you doing, they can tell them all about Jesus. But they cannot go publish without, it's against the law in Morocco to publish the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if they go forth and publish the gospel, they're locked up. Now, you, I, I'm not here to say methods or anything like that. I'm just saying what this group did. And then they go from there. That They're there, I think it's two nights in the first city. Then they go to the next city, and they, and they have one night provided for them. And they're going to go out and make contacts. And what they're doing is as they're talking with people and, and someone asks them, then they're gathering their information. And, the, and this, is, this is the evangelism. And then since they've initiated that contact, the group that they're with will follow up with all these people. And they'll follow up with, with more personal contact in regards to the gospel. And then the third city they go to, they have one. From that on, on that mission trip, they have to find their own place to stay. In all their interactions throughout the day, they, they do have a final collection point if someone completely cannot find a place to stay. But the society and culture of Morocco, Middle East, much like it was in Israel, and, and why I talk about this is we're going to make a distinction here, is that there are people in Morocco who you can approach and they will, they will house you. Now, when you find someone to house you, you go register at the local police department. It's official. If you're housing somebody, they register 
It's, it's like we go to a hotel and they, they want to know the guests that are staying in the hotel. You register at the hotel. Well, they don't have the hotels, but the process is families will take strangers in and they will be registered through, through this, through the, we, we think of the police department and we think different things like law enforcement, but they're using it as a way to really in the community to, to do that. And so the whole idea of that whole mission trip is to get out and live amongst the people and live the life of Christ. And in such a way, uh, being from Mexico, Pastor Ron's like, we found a place where the primary language is Spanish. So it's Morocco. In Morocco. The primary language in that section of Morocco, because of Spain's influence from years before, just across, and a lot of the settlements are, are Spanish speakers. And like, this is great. We take our Mexican people. They're not Americans, so they're not, there's not this antagonistic viewpoint. They're speaking Spanish, and they're from Mexico. And he says the people love to hear and talk with the Mexicans. You're from Mexico? What are you doing here? Let me tell you. And that's opened up the door. But the point I make here is when they come to Philippi, and again, then, then they end up staying in Lydia's house, and now they pass by Apollonia and Amphipolis, and they come to the, a place in Thessalonica where they have the synagogue of the Jews. And I'm just laying it out this way. The gospel to the Jew first, when they went out to Israel, they were cared for. Now, think about reason with me, right? Reason with me that when Jesus is raised from the dead, uh, he, he sends them forth into the world. Now, it takes them a while to get there. But if you'll recall, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he says, sell what you have and buy a sword. And so we we have two swords, and the Lord says, that's enough. Now, obviously, it's not to prevent Jesus from dying, because when Peter pulls out the sword to cut Malchus's ear off, he says, put it away. What, what am, I, am I not to go to the cross? And then he heals Malchus's ear. And, and yet, what we learn from this whole thing, he says, I'll send you out, right? I'll send you out as sheep amongst wolves and be wise as serpent, harmless as doves. And he actually describes and prepares and then the Holy Spirit in sending out to the world. There are many hostile places to the gospel. Okay, What have we been studying with the Apostle Paul when the Holy Spirit sent him forth? We've actually learned and studied and saw how as he goes out, he ends up in preaching Christ. He ends up in trouble. He ends up falsely accused. He ends up in prison, beaten. He ends up stoned. He ends up from from all this. And, and, and this is a good understanding for us because those that carried the gospel forth went forth with a different approach. And in fact, that approach of go out with just your Bible and Jesus will meet all your needs. And that's not what Jesus taught. In those places where that hospitality existed amongst the, the, the Jews, that worked. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing to give witness. But when, when others go out, and then you think about when, when we go and share the gospel, and many times you may have to protect yourself from being attacked based off of where you're going. Now, in this, uh, we come to this study, and all, all I come to, and, and to me, I think there's a beautiful simplicity in what we're going to cover tonight, and I think we're doing 15 verses. So we're not, we're not going to roll through this whole chapter. They pass by Apollonia and Amphipolis, and they come to Thessalonica, and they find the synagogue of the Jews. And as Paul, his manner was, he goes into the synagogue, and for three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Now, th- this for me is, uh, 
this is exciting. And it's like, well, why is that so exciting to you? Well, what he's doing is he's, by speaking, okay, even what I just did for you right there, I'm just reasoning with you on how we should go out with the gospel. Depending on where you're going, you may need to be equipped in a certain way. Hey, you're going to go have church services in India, right? You better have some protection from, from, well, from not just the Muslims, right? From the Baha'i, from the Hindus and the Baha'i. They will come and kill Christians for having church service. And so many of those, many of those churches, guess what? They hire or have of their own an armed guard to protect the worshipers to come into service. Now, when I say it in, in this way, what I love about this is how the gospel had its entrance to Thessalonica. Paul's reasoning with them out of the scriptures. The scriptures, that which is written. It's a basic Greek word, but when applied to what Paul is bringing, he's, he's bringing Genesis through Chronicles, the Tanakh. He's reasoning with them by speaking with them, and, and that's what he's talking with them for three Sabbaths. Now, I can't say for sure like how he split it up, but if you look at verse 3, it says, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered. Maybe that was the whole thing on the first Sabbath. Reasoning with them from the scriptures, opening up the prophecies, opening up the passages that are in their writings that they read in that Sabbath, that, that are read, and he starts opening up to them. And the word there for open, that is a word to describe opening up that which has been closed. It's the word used to describe when, when a woman who's never had a child before, how that first child, in that case, has opened up the womb. That, that, that which belonged to God under the law. I mean, they had a very clear understanding of that. So it's a descriptive word of what's taking place. He's, he's going to their scriptures, but by reasoning with them from the scriptures concerning the sufferings of Messiah, he's opened up to them, which was closed. And that's... That's the entrance. Now let's let's turn over to First Thessalonians, First uh, Thessalonians one five. Now, as you're turning there, just to remind you, when you open up your Bible and you read God's Word, God's Spirit is at work in your life. It really is that powerful in our lives. When we read the Bible with intent to know God, asking His Holy Spirit to teach us. I've been doing this for twenty five years now opening up my Bible, asking the Holy Spirit to teach me. And guess what he's done? He's taught me. And, and I think this is a wonderful place to see the beginning of the entrance in Thessalonians. And who has First Thessalonians 1.5? Just go ahead and read it out loud. Got it, Ray? You're going to have to put your food down, man. First, if I have the right verse, go ahead and read it. Right. For our gospel came not unto you, this is for the recording, gospel came unto you not unto word only, uh, unto you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Ghost, and much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and the Lord, and look at this phrase in, in 1 Thessalonians 1, six. having received the word in much affliction and joy of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. Now, the entrance 
into Thessalonica was the word of God. Word came with power. Philippi, casting out the demon out of the slave girl, beat, locked up in prison, precision earthquake to open up the doors and knock all the chains off, crying out for the guy to save his life and saves the family, and and a, a work happens. What happened in Thessalonica? The word of God came forth in power. They believed the word. As Paul was reasoning from the scriptures, as he was opening and then alleging. Now, that word there for alleging, uh, as he was uh, talking about this, uh, New King James uses the word demonstrating. So opening up that which was closed, he, he literally, let's see if I have my notes on that. He literally is setting the scriptures before them, much like you would set a table. We just came off of Thanksgiving. And, you know, one of the favorite things to do with Thanksgiving is to set the table. Just came from a Christmas brunch with the ladies in Fargo. And it's, it's a ministry for each lady to be able to decorate a table and set the table. You know what Paul did with the word? He comes in and he's reasoning for three weeks. And what he does is he, he opens the scriptures unto them which was closed, maybe verses they had never really considered before. And he's in there saying, this one's about the Messiah, the sufferings of Messiah. Look at this in Isaiah. Look at this in Psalm 22. Look at the prophecies. Do you realize that as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, and then he could start reasoning with them that, that Jesus was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth or the heart of the earth? And you, this is what he did. It, to me, why do, I love this stuff because... Uh, I'll be honest with you. I attribute some of the greatest transformation in my life in the last 25 years to one thing. Meeting with the Lord day by day, all alone, talking with him and listening to his word and just reading his word and learning all about him. And Lord, change this in me. Prayer. And How does it come to me? I simply say this, by the grace of God. It literally is that if you describe for, for many people, what is the real ministry of Calvary Chapel? It's the grace of God that came through the word of God. There are men who went out and their, their simple thing was they would stand up and they would, they would simply go through the scriptures and, and week by week go right through the Bible declaring what God's word said and the room fills up with people. By the grace of God, you're like, how does that happen? And all they say is, it just gives great testimony to the, to the word of God and its power to change people's lives. That's the Thessalonians. Now, they get saved in that whole working as Paul is, is doing that. Three Sabbaths, and i got to get back there. Let's see, Acts 17. And consider this. First Sabbath, reasoning with them about the, the sufferings of Christ and you know suffering and dying. Again, Isaiah 52, 53, Psalm 22, just a glimpse of the sufferings of Christ. Did the next Sabbath any reasons with them about the resurrection? Now, we don't know if he separates it by week, but at this point he has a method and he's, he's got three things he wants to reason with them and he accomplishes it in three Sabbaths, sits down, opens up the scrolls, hey, turn here, and then he goes on to the next one, the prophecies concerning the Messiah. And if you, if you consider this, that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is the Messiah. Can you, can you imagine having your mind open to verses that are in your scriptures that you've been reading or having read for you? This I get this. I grew up in a church unsaved 
where we would read from the Bible. We'd have Bible readings. I didn't know what they meant. And then I started listening to my brother's pastor teach the Bible. I'm like, I didn't know the Bible was like that. You mean to tell me the Spirit, the Spirit put all this in? <coughs> and what happened is, that which was closed to me, never been opened, I'd been in church services, I can still recount it. I mean, I can recite Luther's catechism for you. I, I can go through the order of service and I can still sing the songs and I know the prayers by heart. And I haven't touched them for 25 and 30 years. But the point being is, I didn't know the word was like that. And, and just set before the people the word of God. That's what happened in Thessalonica. There's no miracles to say anything like God did a miracle. It's the word. Now, let me remind you, this is not flashy. What happens in Thessalonica is not a flashy ministry or to steal a term and then to make fun of it concerning the church planters who go out nowadays. They want to make the church sexy. In other words, make it desirous for people to come there. What are you doing? I don't get that. I don't understand what you would do to even use that term. I'm simply saying, why do I like what happened in Thessalonica? They came and opened up the word and God opened their hearts. I mean, if you're honest between you and God, what's been the greatest change in your relationship with God and what's caused you to grow the most? What has taught you the most about God? What is it that you now know that you didn't know before? And I simply say it's the power of God through the word of God. I believed what he wrote. And then, and then I would start looking at these passages together. And, and having done that, he just simply lays it out. And by reasoning and preaching, he says, Jesus of Nazareth must be the Messiah. Born in Bethlehem, right? Went down into Egypt, called out of Egypt. Born of a virgin. you imagine just reasoning with people, the testimony of Jesus, God's son, how he was born of a virgin? And then you turn over to Isaiah seven fourteen, like, you're just looking at the scriptures and say, the Messiah must be born of a virgin. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah would suffer and die in this way. Now, that this hasn't been done before. That In the, the synagogue, they haven't had the scriptures opened up like that. Now what happens in that, it says, some of them believed. They believed that Jesus, the Son of God, had come and died on the cross and risen from the dead, and God predicted all of it. And they believe that Jesus must be the Messiah. It's exciting stuff from what I... I mean, have you ever tried to convince somebody? We did a Bible study this week, and I was hoping it was going to be a believer's study, but there were three unbelievers and two believers in this Bible study, and, and we're, 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 we're doing this, Tony and I are going there, and, and then this particular organization. And, and, and the Lord has me enter in just with this phrase, I follow Jesus because... And I answered the question, and then I just went around the room and had every one of them answer the question, I follow Jesus because, and three of them says, I don't follow Jesus. I see why we started this way. Now, what am I coming to? It literally is, Jesus is who he says he is, and that's the witness and testimony of Scripture. Now, those that don't believe that, it happened in, in Thessalonica. Some believed, and they consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude of the chief women. The prominent women in the city of Thessalonica believed upon Jesus Christ. That their knowledge of, of the Messiah, whatever extent they knew or what they believed, as maybe they had the scriptures open for the first time, and, and Paul shows them, and, and many believe. 
but the Jews which believe not. Now, the New King James uses a word to describe that some were persuaded and those that were not persuaded. And it literally is rooted in the Greek word where we say for faith, right? And again, Bronson used that word last week, uh, pistis. That's the, that's the Greek word. And he described it, it means to entrust yourself unto. It's, it's a faith that, that is, I trust. I trust what's being said. Those that were persuaded believed. And then there were those that were not persuaded. In other words, same gospel message, same scriptures opened up, same truth revealed, same prophecies. I can go through this Bible study and others are like, I'm not excited about this study. I don't, who cares about the word of God? Literally people do not care about the word of God. And I come to Thessalonica and I'm like, man, I love this, this place. The Jews that were filled with envy are moved with envy. Uh, now, that envy is not a um, like a casual one. I mean, you might talk with your children as you raise them, and they, they're looking what others get to do, and, and they become envious. And I wish I could do that too. And my dad had an answer to that. He says, if, if, if they're going to jump in the lake, are you going to jump in the lake too? No, I'm not going to just do that. Or, are they going to jump off a cliff? Are you going to jump off a cliff too? No, I'm not going to do that, Dad. And it turns out I like jumping in lakes. I don't know what my dad was thinking, but evidently that had a different meaning for him. But this envy is actually, it's, it's with zeal. This describes Paul when he was Saul, and with envy when he saw people turning to believe upon Jesus Christ. With zeal he went out to kill people. He speaks of his zeal persecuting the church. That's this word zealous with envy, and, and what they do is they ga- gather, oh, and I love this with the King James, certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. They found the most wicked men they could find who would do whatever they could do, and they raise up a whole ruckus, uh, a mob. They set all the city in an uproar. Salt of the house of Jason. So again, you, you understand, when they go out, where are they staying? There's no holiday inn. They're staying in people's homes. So they've been taken in by Jason, and everybody knows it. And they come to Jason's house and say, bring out the man. Where are they? Bring him out to the people. And they didn't find him there. They found him not. Verse 6, they drew Jason and certain of the brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying out, these that have turned the world upside down have come here too, hither also. And Jason has received them. Back to my example of missions to Morocco. Aren't you glad it would be registered? And then you realize what what happened there. They all knew they were staying with Jason. And the accusation of Paul, Silas, Timothy, the whole group is what? They've turned the world upside down. The news is already spreading about what had happened. The news already is passing that that this... that the. Someone's going around saying that the Messiah has come. They know who the Messiah is. It's not different today. There are many. You start talking about the Messiah and you know who the Messiah is, you can cause an uproar amongst the rabbis now, today, in in Israel. Now, in this taking place, they trouble the city uh, and, and their accusation of they've turned the world upside down and Jason's received them. And what's wrong with them is they're preaching another king. They're preaching another king other than Caesar, and that's what they start. That's their, that's their complaint to the rulers of the city. And, and literally, they're not 
preaching a king instead of Caesar, are they? They're preaching Jesus, king of all, king of kings. They're preaching the Messiah, and they trouble the people. And as they're troubling the people, the rulers of the city, and they heard all these things, and this is all in an uproar, and and all they do is they take security from Jason. All right, are you going to have them stay with you or not? Right? Tell me they're not going to stay with you anymore, and they take security of him, and, and then they let everybody go. So the brethren there in Thessalonica, after reasoning with them for three Sabbaths, most people think Paul was there at most six weeks. That's it. Three to six weeks. Reasoned with them. The word of God came. He gave them the scriptures. And from that point forward, once the scriptures had been opened, what could everybody else now in the synagogue do? They could take the word and say, look at this. And that, that word could spread from one to another. And that's what happens. So they send them away. They send, they send Saul, uh, Paul away and, and Silas by night unto Berea. And as who, who coming there, so when they get to Berea, they get there, they go into the synagogue of the Jews. Berea is just a little hop, skip, and a jump, the way we'd say things down the road. And, you know, think about it now. We just, we just simply like, well, there's all these churches in town. You just go to church now. I mean, but they had these synagogues, but as they come to the synagogues, they're not trying, right, to start another synagogue. They're coming to preach, receive your Messiah, get saved. And as people are getting saved, Jew and Gentile alike, that's what happened in Thessalonica. More Gentiles saved in Thessalonica than the Jews. And that and that's now the church. And they come to Berea and they preach Christ in the synagogue. And they come there. They went in, in 11, 1711. It, 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 if you want a verse just to, to really settle into your heart, what about you? You go to church now. What's your relationship to God through the word? And it's 1711. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. Now, that might seem like an, an, a, a simple thing to you. But actually what they've done is they've, they've opened up their heart and they're ready. Like, you're going to open up the scriptures and tell us about the Messiah? Bring it. I want to know. Do you know what a difference it makes when you come to church with your heart ready for uh, to receive the word of God? What, what's in this chapter? What's the Lord going to say to me today? And then readiness and you're listening. And then the claims that are made and the things that the Spirit teaches and what they did in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all readiness of mind, but they did something else. They searched the scriptures daily to find out if the things that Paul was saying, if they were so. Whether, whether these things were so. Paul's making these claims, and the Messiah. Can you imagine going through prophecies? like uh, you, you, can, you can go through, oh, there's about 300 prophecies of them, specific of the Messiah. And if you, find, if you ever find it, I mean, do you ever search them out? We have the internet now, so you all have access to a pastor's library. All the work that people have done all throughout time to count, to look, to measure, and, and, and go, to the, go into the Old Testament and find the prophecy and then seek out its fulfillment written in the New Testament. 300 of those. That's exciting stuff. And then to search that out and to have that. And that's the type of thing. You know, do you accept willingly that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, He's the Messiah, and you go on your way as if that's not a big deal? Or do you search it out and say, how about this, the rapture of the church? 
You, you think of the rapture of the church and, and we're waiting for Jesus to come or, or the, the hope and promise of eternal life. And you can go right through this with the word of God. And how about this one? That Jesus is the power of God in our lives over temptation. That you get into the real things of daily life and, and what it is and being tempted to, to sin like Jesus was tempted and yet he didn't sin. And just living our lives and say, what well, there's power in the word of God. And, and then the scriptures and they give answer and, and then you search these things out. And then you, you come to church and there's this claim made that there's power available to you in this baptism with the Holy Spirit. Don't forget this Acts study. This Acts study is about us coming through with the witness of history, the prominent role of the Holy Spirit in the church. The prominent role to continue the works of Jesus the Messiah when he went back to heaven. What are we witnessing? The works of Jesus the Messiah through his church as they go from town to town, as they preach the gospel, as they open up the scriptures, as the Spirit saves, right? The regeneration. And and you might say, well, I heard, yes, I, I, I know all that. But this is the point I'm making. At some point, we either are with ready minds to search and receive this and say, this is what I'm about. I'm about the word of God. You, you, you want to know practice and you want to know what should we do in church. And well, let's open up the scriptures. Let's search this out. We're having trouble right now. Search out the scriptures for the answer. You know, we, we're like, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing in my personal life? What are you doing? And you search it out in the scriptures. And this is my witness and testimony that that's how God is. Berea, right? Be Bereans. 70, Acts 17, 11. Receive the word, readiness of mind. Search everything out. And, and, and make sure that it is so. It's a great, great approach. The result, therefore, many of them believed. Do you see that in 12? The result. Now, I love the testimony, and um, one, of my, one of my friends has um, listened to this Calvary pastor teacher from Idaho, and he's been doing this for seven years and, and just chatting with him about this. And, and his testimony is, I, I didn't I didn't have a burden for the people who lived in this particular city in Idaho. I didn't even want to go there, but they needed someone. And so I heard that they needed someone to come teach them the word of God. And I went there and just started teaching the word of God. And the Lord has blessed. And his testimony, God is faithful to his word. God is faithful. And it, it truly is a ministry of the word of God. And as he teaches the Bible, people get saved. People come in. People's lives are transformed. I love what, what Pastor Romain used to uh, say when people would come to him for counsel. And his word to the people are, have you been listening to the man? He's like, well, first he'd say, did you pray? And if they hadn't prayed, he'd say, go home. And they come back. If they made it through that one, he said, if, God's, if, God, if you're praying and God's not helping you, how am I going to help you? That's his approach to prayer. And then when he said, have you been listening to the man? And, and what he did is he cataloged in the teaching ministry of the Word of God, the subject matter, or we might call it today the tags, right? What is that teaching about? This teaching in this section of Scripture is about this, and he simply would say, check out tape 492, check out tape 317. Next. He says, get those tapes, listen to them, do what the Word of God says. Now, you see why I am the way I am about the excitement of this. I, people come and ask me questions, and I immediately go on to where in the Word of God is their answer? 
what in the word of God that he wants them to read so that they can receive the word of God and you know, hear what God said and they can have their lives changed. Berea, Thessalonica Berea. The result, great mighty working power of God through the word of God. Many believed, honorable women of the Greeks, men, not a few. And, and maybe this is unique. And what was the difference between the Bereans and the Thessalonians? Noble-minded. Simply in their disposition to say, I will listen, I will receive what this person has to say to me. That isn't that, that to me, if, if that's not understood, how much is not carried forth because of the disposition of the, of the person sitting in the pew that says, I don't like that person up front. I don't, I don't like what they say. Or, uh, and just again, closed off. The noble mind. Now, I'm not here to emphasize that, but just to make the point. Now, what happens in 13 is that the Jews in Thessalonica find out that Paul was preaching the word of the Lord. And, and it's exactly what it says. The Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea. Now, it, it's already become known that he's preaching the word. And they don't like it. They're, so they come to Berea and they gather, they stir up the people. And so in 14, immediately they leave Berea. They're sent away. Paul is sent to, uh, actually ends up in Athens. So most people think that from that point, from Berea, which is a port city, they put him on a ship. And they put charge over him. Hey, keep him safe. We got to get him out of here. Wherever the ship, wherever you take him, take him there. We got to get him away from Thessalonica and Berea. But Paul and Silas stay there. All right? Excuse me. Silas and Timothy stay there. And that's verse 15. Paul is brought to Athens. Silas and Timothy come. Uh, and and they're, they're sent there. Okay, stay there in 14. When Paul gets to Athens, he immediately sends for him. And he came by ship. I'm guessing they walked by land. I'm not sure they were able to pay the fare to go by ship, which means if you ever look at your map, they had quite a long journey to get to Athens. So Paul is there. And we'll pick up next week with that working uh, of, of the word of God, the testimony and witness of what men will worship. Paul's, Paul basically makes a philosophical appeal to the, to the philosophers of Athens and, and tries to appeal to them on worshiping God that they haven't known before. He says, I'm here to tell you about, I saw your statue to the unknown God. I'm here to tell you all about him. And that's his, that's his approach. Now, we'll pick that up more next week, but I want to leave you with this tonight. It's a beautiful simplicity in your personal life to be at that place where you will read the word of God and believe what he says. It's a beautiful working of the Holy Spirit when you open up your heart and say, Lord, teach me by the Holy Spirit. And you say, put off all your preconceived ideas of what somebody else has told you and come to the scriptures and say, I want to be taught by you. First John 2.27 says, you have anoint- we all have an anointing which we have received and that anointing teaches you. You know what a beautiful thing it is to come to church and you hear the stuff you've been you've been getting in your in your devotions. What a beautiful thing it is to come and say, "I read that." Do you, do you ever come to the Bible study and, and a reference is made and you're like, "I read that verse yesterday," 
and and you realize and and this has happened in my life that I that I stop and say, okay, Lord, what do you want to say to me? I come to this morning's study, working working late into the night yesterday, time to time reading, looking at this, and it's not until this morning where the Holy Spirit describes unto me as I'm studying and just describes the grace of God is what this is all about. And really what we study in the book of Acts and what we read, you know, you know how many people would have, would just love the appeal? And again, this was this was one of the statements from the one of the people in the Bible study on Thursday night who didn't follow Jesus. I said, I followed Jesus because he forgave all my sin. That that's one of the chief reasons why I'm his disciple. Who else has the power to forgive and cleanse sin? I'm like, I that's why I follow him. She says, I don't follow Jesus because I don't believe he had that power. And her reference was to his miracles. And I'm like, I come to, I come to, you know, Acts 17. It wasn't about the miracles, was it? You know, another reason to follow the Lord and believe that is like, because of the word of God. The word of God predicts by prophecy everything the Messiah would do. I follow Jesus of Nazareth because he's the one the Bible said would would be the Messiah. I believe the Bible revealed before he was born that he is the way for me to be saved from sin, hell, and death. This type of thing, it's like you, you don't need to convince somebody by a miracle, do you? But if you yourself say, I received the word of God, I believe what it says. I believe the miracles. I believe God did that. I believe nothing's too hard for the Lord. I believe what's revealed is Jesus came forth from heaven and he is the mighty working power of God. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. Jesus could have done all the miracles and he did do many miracles and he did them in three cities. And as he did that mighty working power of God, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, he pronounces a woe upon them because the mighty works that had been done in them, they didn't repent and believe. See, you know that mighty works doesn't necessarily change somebody's viewpoint. An experience doesn't necessarily make a change in somebody's life. But you know what will make a change in our lives? The Word of God. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you as we're here tonight. Let's receive your grace. How it is that you have given us the Word. And I think of even all the years of, of reading through the Proverbs. By your grace... The Proverbs have transformed my life from being a simple fool to to having the wisdom of your ways and your truth. And simply come in agreement together tonight that we love your word. I ask that your grace would abound in each and every one of our lives when we read and we hear from you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here's your assignment. Right. If you're not reading your Bible, right, start in a simple daily routine. Today is the fourth. Read Proverb four, just to get the habit of being in the Word. Right. So today's the fourth. Right. You read Proverbs four and say, Lord, talk to me. Right. Open up your heart and just say. I want want to hear from God. You have in your possession the living word of God that at any time you can open up and hear what God has to say to you and just simply set before you by his grace, Lord, show me something today. Lord, teach me today. Now, 
as I say that, how many have approached <coughs> devotions and Bible reading as something you had to do? I'm here to present unto you the grace of God. You open it up, say, Lord, here I am. What do you have for me? And by his grace, he just begins to teach you. And there's things that I didn't even know they were there. And then later on, oh, I know what to do. I know the answer. I'm like, how'd that get in there? I didn't, I didn't actively memorize it. I didn't actively do it. But the answer was there because the Spirit taught and put it in. And then the question is, how does it get there? And I'm giving you the answer tonight, by the grace of God. Anybody who stands up and does anything that's of the Spirit and truth and power and work of God, that's by, that's by His grace. We're deceiving ourselves to think that it's based upon the great power and learning of man, systems of man, you know, effort. It really comes down to it by the grace. So, in Jesus' name, amen. First and second sermon prayers over. You're at liberty. God bless you as you read your word.